Hi, my guest today is a private wealth manager dealing with ultra high net worth individuals. Please welcome Rebecca Rooney. Ribka, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you for coming on to this podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm honored to be part of it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. So let's jump right into it. Yeah. What do you do? So I'm a financial advisor. All right. For wealthy people is what I do now, but I'm happy to talk about financial advising for all people, which I'm very passionate about. Okay. So, so you started out doing it for all people and then you moved up to a level to where you're doing it for wealthy individuals. Is that what happened? No, actually. So, um, you know, we go way back, right? So in business school, I drank the Kool-Aid, right? And I thought I have to go into investment banking. That's what I should do to matter in this world. And so I went off on my path and, and honest to God, it was a great experience. It was not a long-term career for me because the hours were brutal and then it was in the middle of the financial crisis. Mm. But I'm grateful for those experiences and I think that experience really has built the foundation for my career as a financial advisor for me personally. But I'm happy to talk to you about all the different backgrounds that financial advisors have because I think I'm probably more textbook in the fact that I have an MBA and a CSA um, that I find that why you would think those would be the credentials that are needed in my career I'm actually the exception, not the norm. So yeah, after investment banking, I was just exploring other career paths and trying to learn them. So your podcast is very helpful, right? For people of all levels, learning about different careers within their industry and in other industries. And I ended up working for JP Morgan and their private banking world, which is basically providing financial advice for wealthy people. So it's always been my day job, if you would, but I spend time outside of my day job trying to help people more broadly because it's not rocket science at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people need the, need the honest, you know, truthful help. Oh, got it. That's great. That's great that you're doing that. Okay. So, so now how did you switch gears and how did you get into the financial advising part of it, especially at the bank you're at. I know it's got to be very competitive. And then how was that transition moving from the investment banking side of it to moving with the financial advising side of it and working with individuals? Right. So I think of my career in the past and the future is it's a journey for me. I don't, I don't, um, you know, things sort of just happen. Um, sometimes it feels like an accident, but when I look back, I realize that it was really through a lot of effort. So when I left investment banking, honestly, I wanted to pursue impact investing and sustainable investing. And there was a whole world that I was very curious about. So that encouraged me to pursue my CFA, which is at least a three-year journey, depending if you pass all the levels at the first time. So I was trying to go down that road and ended up getting a consulting job at JP Morgan within their corporate responsibility group. So my career path is not directly into wealth management. And they were looking for someone with financial quantitative background to help them with their CRA, which is lending and investing in low-income areas. And that really resonated with me at the time. So I took that opportunity to join the firm. And they basically positioned it like, hey, join us. We need you for a year. 
If you like it, great. Hopefully it can be a long-term career for you. But if not, it's a great opportunity to join our firm and to network with people. And that's what happened. I realized that it was interesting, the work that I was doing at the time, but it was really not more a career path for me. It was very compliance-heavy and aspects that were not that long-term resonating for me. But I was able to meet a lot of people. And I so through my CFA, though, so for me, it was always through my degrees that helped me pivot. So before business school, I was in sales and marketing. I got an MBA. I transitioned to investment banking. Then after investment banking, I pursued my CFA, which was a very hard challenge. It, it was not easy. Because as a mom and having children and getting married in between that, it was a journey for me. But I got my CFA, and that really helped me transition into asset management. But I thought I would go towards helping companies with their money because I, was, I had helped companies when I was in investment banking. So we call that the institutional side. But through meeting about the firm, I became more interested in helping individuals. And there was an opportunity that arose for me. And so that's how it happened that I ended up working in wealth management for individuals at J.P. Morgan, which was a very good training ground, more of an apprenticeship model there. And I'm happy to talk about the different models because there's so many out there in my industry. But the private bank model for me was a good place to start. Yes. Can you talk about that, the apprenticeship model, and just talk about mm-hmm. if are you working with teams? Are you working individually? Like how it all works? Yeah. So I'll never forget this, Rodolfo, because we went to business school together. <laughs> Someone, uh, yeah, people came in to finish us all the time, right? And we were like eyes bright open yes. and so eager to learn about the different career paths. And someone came in and they talked about wealth management. And I remember thinking, I would never do that. <laughs> I always was under the assumption that you had to have an existing Rolodex of very wealthy people. And I mean, had to be full commission. And the truth is, I had student loans from business school. I was not make decision to work full commission. And I needed a steady salary. And I'm from Louisiana, as you know, from a small town uh, near Grambling, Louisiana. So that this whole world was so foreign to me, right? And I like couldn't even grasp going down that road. But that's why, for me, a private bank model is one model where it's apprenticeship, your salary plus bonus. You work in the firm, you work with another advisor, you work, you're part of a team that's part of a bigger team. You may work with one advisor, transition to work with another advisor. So for four years when I was at JP Morgan in wealth management in a private bank model, I got to work with a lot of different advisors and work with very interesting clients, very, very wealthy clients. And I learned a tremendous amount, and we can talk in a minute about the various aspects of my role. But then two years ago, I transitioned to the broker-dealer world, where I am now, which is at UBS. And the difference there is it's a very individual world. It's very entrepreneurial. You are you or you are yourself with a team, and you hit the ground running, and the firm doesn't pay you for the most part, and you are responsible for building your book of business. So I was really attracted to that model because it's very entrepreneurial, and I felt like you could make the right decisions for your clients on your own. And I really wanted to take that risk, that that jump, if you would. So at the end of the day, I think there's pros and cons to both models. It depends where you are in your career path. It depends where you are as far as your ability in sales to to have the Rolodex of people to call on day one. But it's a really unique industry, right? Like I think about it, you know, if you're a doctor, you more or less go through the same training, right? More or less. You're not just a doctor people have kind of the same training, the four to eight to 10 years of training, whatever they go through. But in my world, there's two or three exams you have to pass. You could probably pass them within three months and you can just do it. Mm. 
Or you could be someone like myself who has a very like more pedigree background and you know, it's taking five years of that route. It doesn't right. matter. It doesn't right. matter your um, ability to sell at the yep. end of the day. So at least the pros and cons. Everything has pros and cons. Okay. And now now with the broker dealer model, that that seems interesting because it seems to me like you're an entrepreneur with the backing of a large corporation. Mm-hmm. So, cause you're basically getting whatever you're putting in there. Yeah. Now yeah. with that though, how are you coming up with your n- new client? Is it all cold calling? Are you going to events or is it you're at this large corporation? So some of it is people kind of coming to you and kind of falling into your lap. How is it? Yeah, it's kind of all of the above to be honest. Okay. I have to have a really entrepreneurial spirit. And I think you have to be really open-minded and, and really kind of want to put yourself out there. That's why I think the different models are helpful. You know, when you're younger, if you wanted to get into this industry, I would say you really want to find a team to join because that's the ideal situation. If you could join a team that has a lot of synergies with you and that will really support you, then that's great because as they get older and eventually they retire, you can inherit their book. And that's, that's really the way that it kind of works in the broker-dealer world in an ideal setting. Otherwise, you just need a lot of hungry people who feel like they can do it and they go out there and they hustle, they, they cold call, they go to events, they ask people within the network for connection to meet people. So it takes a lot of energy. But okay. neither model are you going to be given clients per se. Sometimes the firm does help you if you know the right people and there's the right opportunity and there's the right fit for the client. But it is definitely a self job. But I'm happy to talk about the other aspects because there's so many other aspects. But you have to be interested in sales to be in this business. Right, you're right. It makes sense. Now, can you talk about what is a high net worth client? How do you describe that? And what are you doing to help your clients? Right. Okay, so high net worth is a very vague term, right? Yeah. It could mean people that have $1 million of investable assets. I could mean people that have $25 million of investable assets. So it truly depends. And then it's also at the discretion of the advisor, to be honest. So that's a harder one to answer. But to answer the latter part of your question, at the end of the day, I do believe that investing is the bread and butter of what we do. As advisors, people are putting their trust in you because they need your help for investing. And it's a very hard world to understand if you don't come from this world. So they really do need the help. It's a reality. But from my position as an advisor, I view my role as investing just one piece of the pie. Because when I meet a client, I want to understand everything about you. I want to understand, okay, so I don't, I first will talk about your investing. That's typically what clients talk about. But I have to understand your family. I have to understand what estate planning have you done. I have to understand what philanthropic goals do you have. What values do you have as a family? What are you trying to accomplish with your money? You kind of have to take a step back and think about money as a means to an end. So, yeah, like, trust me, I mean, I'm going to be in my client's suit. They have a lot of money in their bank accounts, right? It's great to have a lot of money. But what's the purpose of that money? What are you trying to accomplish with that money? What do you envision it for yourself, for your children, maybe even for your grandchildren? And it's interesting. There's this a wide statistic out there that a lot of people reference, which is called shirt tails to shirt tails, which means 90% of the wealth from first generation, the, the person that created it, does not make it to the third generation. So your child may, will receive some of it, but their child likely will not. So it seems simple, like wealthy people have a lot of money and they should be just fine and their world should work well. 
it actually doesn't work that well in reality. So it's trying to understand and help them achieve their long-term goals. The hard part, people think it's accumulating the wealth, which it is. It was easy. We'd all do it. But it's also just as hard to sustain the wealth. Yeah, got you. Yeah, that makes sense. And then also makes sense. Your first thing you want to do is just really know your client, know your client. And then from there, you can start to figure out what's the best ways that you can help them financially. Yeah. So again, it's investing, it's estate planning, it's philanthropy, it's risk management, it's debt and liabilities, it's insurance. Sometimes the list goes on to things way beyond that, right? It's helping them finance their yachts or their, these other worlds, of their art lending. And how do you think about talking to your children about money and having those conversations and really creating the value of wealth, your value to them? So it's a wide gamut. That's what I love about my job. Every day, including today, I will have a conversation with a client about something that I know a lot about, but of our conversation, I can't wait to learn more about it because I know enough to know that I'm going to have to give them on an avenue that they don't know about, but there's so many avenues. It's endless. Yeah. You will learn every day of your career in my profession. That's great. Now, I know the way you got into your position was a little atypical. However, can you talk about the typical ways that people get into financial advising or a private bank at banks like yours? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I always thought that you had to kind of know your path day one and that some people are fortunate to know that. And for the rest of us, we're figuring out every day. And then when I joined this world of wealth management, it was so interesting because in investment banking, it's a little bit more, not true for everyone, but it's a little bit more cookie cutter, if you would. You know, people kind of have the same start. But in wealth management, it's not at all. I mean, I, some of the top advisors were art history majors, and they might have worked in art galleries. And then someone else would tell you that they were a poli sci, maybe they were an Olympic champion. And then you should go this round. I'm like, what? Like, how did you do this in this route in finance? And you're so successful, and you didn't have this traditional path that I thought everyone had to go through. Because it is about sales, I won't lie. It's about who do you know and who can you help. And we really believe, those of us that are passionate about our jobs, that we're helping people. Mm-hmm. And so if you're part of a firm that has the resources and intellectual capital on investing, on the estate planning, and let me be very clear, so I haven't said this yet, but I should have said this earlier, it all comes down to taxes. Mm-hmm. You should always let the tax tail wag the dog. I mean, it's true. So if you have the intellectual capital and the people behind you at these big firms that can provide all this really detailed technical knowledge, which is really important, then you as an individual who's trying to work on the relationship management side, you don't necessarily need all the technical skills. People like myself may have them so that it's helpful to my career, but you don't need them. As long as you recognize what your, your strengths, what you know and what you don't know, and you leverage the firm that you're with and a big firm will have them, and some small firms have them too, then you can really provide that same type of knowledge and support that clients need that your particular one person background is not that technical and financial. You know, you can have an athlete go into this field. Um, you know, it's, just, it's like it's a wide gamut who go into this because they recognize that people need help and they want someone who they trust. And it really comes down to trust. Yeah, that's that's great. And that's I think that's a huge point because I believe that a lot of people think that you have to know everything, like the whole gamut about the financial sphere just to have this job. And like you said, you don't. You have to have that trust of your clients 
and know who to go to, you know, the experts. And I think that's great advice that you said. Yeah. And that's great. We've known each other for probably you know, almost 20 years. And like, I trust you, right? Like, I trust you. So I would be more willing to hear something from out of your mouth than someone else who has a really good pedigree. But I don't know them. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with my money. So you really want to work with someone you trust and who you believe who puts your interests first and then can find all the right people behind you to support you to bring the right knowledge yeah. to execute. But the other part of that is, so it's twofold. So it's like either people that have really strong trust and morals and they really will put their clients first, which is not something that you can take for granted in my industry, or it's people that have, maybe you find someone that has a really strong intellectual investment, like they're super interested in investing, they love investing, but they don't know any of those people, right? So they're like, well, how could I do that? Because that was kind of more my boat, right? Like I was like, I really find this fascinating. I love doing my CFA. I love studying for it. It's really dorky. I love investing banking. I, I love that intellectual side of it. But I didn't know these people that had a million, two million, five million, ten million, twenty-five, fifty. Now I build billionaires. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. You know, I mean, who was I? So I thought I could never go down that path, even though I had the intellectual knowledge. So you have to recognize where your strength lies and then What's the right fit for you to be able to leverage that to go down a path that maybe you don't think you could do alone, which you don't have to do alone. You can go in partnership with your team at a private bank or a broker dealer, as long as you have a team around you. You ever just sit back and think, wow, look at how far I've come. I'm advising billionaires. I'm like, they, they'll never to my house. They'll never heard of Grambling, Louisiana. They'll never heard of Northern Louisiana. Or maybe they've never even been to Louisiana. Hopefully they've been to New Orleans, I hope. <laughs> but no, it's cool. But it also really is grounding because at the end of the day, when I'm sitting across the table and talking to someone, their concerns are the same as my concerns for my family. You know, I have two boys, as you know. Like, our concerns are the same a lot. And I always try to put myself in their shoes. And you could say, well, these are rich people's problems or rich people's issues. But if you put yourself in their shoes, they're real problems or they're real issues. Because a lot of people I work with, honestly, create their own wealth. So I have so much respect for them. And I just feel like they've given their whole life to what they've created. And if I can help them and their family, um, who's made a lot of sacrifices along the way to help that person or, you know, that family create their wealth. I really want to make sure that I can help them, just like I want someone to help me if I need help in a certain area. So you kind of have to take the zeros away. <laughs> if you're looking eye to eye to someone, it's usually, for me, I just feel fortunate that I've had great clients that they're humans. At the end of the day, most of them have similar goals as you and I. Right, right. Okay. So can you talk about a, a typical day of yours, what that looks like? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of tips days, but more or less, I mean, I would say, you know, I'm at UBS now, so I get a lot of great resources at me. Like, I have so much information coming to me, which is why I like that. So I start my morning early where I can read information coming to me from the firm, curated information, different articles, then I read my own Wall Street Journal, um, I'll watch CNBC. I want to make sure that I'm in touch with what's happened since I went to bed. And that way I can start my day off feeling prepared. And then I have a morning call at 8.30 about the market. And then after that, it's kind of like, well, what's on my to-do list? There's, certain, there's always follow-up from certain clients that I need to follow up on. 
been this proactive outreach that I want to do with other clients that maybe haven't heard from me in a while and I want to make sure they know I'm thinking about them and, and I'm reviewing their portfolio. And then you have scheduled meetings. Ideally, you meet with your clients quarterly and discuss that. But I feel like it's a job I'm learning every day. And, and maybe you shouldn't admit that as an advisor, honestly. <laughs> but it's true because no one knows everything about the markets. I mean, right. that person that is private island, owning a private island, you know, with their crystal ball, <laughs> with all their best friends living with them. So it's fascinating. You know, I just find like it's a, it's a job where so much that happens in the world is relevant to me and my job, to my clients, their portfolio, and my job to worry for them. I don't want my clients to worry. I want to be the ones looking at what they're invested in. I want to know the details and I'll share every detail with them if they want it, and I'll share the high level if they don't. I mean, there's different levels of interest by clients, but a lot of it is intellectual capital each day and then outreach to your clients. All right. But and it's now, different. If I wasn't, if we didn't have this virus, then at night, right. <laughs> the job continues. So as a mom, I don't clearly go out every night. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I try like two nights a week to do something where I'm in an environment where I'm not with 100% the same people right. because that's the only way I have to build my business. And I try to attend things that I'm genuinely interested in because I believe in authenticity in this business. I care a lot about sustainable investing and things around ESG, which is a hot topic now in my world, environmental social governance. Mm-hmm. governance I care a lot about a lot of interest in the family office space and philanthropy and just actual investing. So I try to make sure that I'm in different circles so I can get referrals for business because that's largely what I do and that's how I'm going to create my you know, long career. Right. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. All right. And then now what about skills and characteristics? Can you talk about what skills and characteristics you feel are important to be successful in your line of field? And also what makes a good financial advisor? Um. I mean, I said this earlier, but I really just believe it, you know. I think that yourself and your clients too. Mm. So I think that it's very easy to talk the talk of whatever firm you're with, to have a lot of other priorities. Um, But if you really put yourself and your clients shoes, and you think about, okay, well, I could give them this answer. Because they ask me a question, I could give them this answer. I'm going to meet with them. I could give them this review. But if I, were to, if I were them, what more would I want to know? What am I not telling them? What questions are they going to ask me? Um, so I find that my, questions, my clients almost always ask really brilliant questions, right? And they're not rocket science. And every question they ask is worthy. And I just really try to make sure I answer them and I follow up with my clients. Um, I'm not trying to my clients. So in my world, you would find a lot of advisors that will talk about the truth in my industry. The industry would also, given you and I are African Americans and, you know, in our early 40s, we're rare breeds. <laughs> my industry is almost 90%, I'm not guessing because there's a lot of statistics out there around this, um, a white male above the age of 55. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, there's tremendous opportunity for a lot of people in my industry. And I can relate to people who, clients who are not necessarily looking like the majority of my financial advisors, even though a lot of my clients do look like a lot of, you know, white men above the age of 55. But I just think that you have to really, um, 
you know, as I said, put yourself in your client's shoes. Answer the question. Don't try to tell them what, don't try to be the smartest person in the room and tell them everything and talk down to them and use a lot of financial jargon. This is wrong with my industry. If you walk into a branch of any branch, that any bank that you're a member of, and you say, oh, I need some financial advice, they'll really try to intimidate you. They'll use a lot of jargon. And then you're going to feel like, oh, I need to pay them whatever fee they need so I can go up, so I can get this done. Well, to me, a good advisor empowers their clients, right? They break it down. They make it not so complicated. And they really try to, the more you know about the markets, the better I'm doing my job is how I do it. And we make it a partnership and we do it together. So that's a key skill, often missing in the industry, but one that I think is really important. Other than that, yes, you have to be a relationship person. You have to like dealing with people. You have to like, um, you have to be very patient. Some clients are very demanding. Um, you know, you just, you really just need to be, in a you want to build relationships and or, depending what team you're on, what your role is, or you could be just more on the technical side. And if you're super smart on the technical side, and maybe not that great on the communication side, that's okay. Because you'll partner with someone like myself who likes the communication side, <laughs> and we can get it done. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I think it's important to know what you ask, because we can't be all things. I can't be the perfect relationship person and the perfect investment person. Am I at my desk all day, or am I out meeting people? I can't be that same person. There's only one of me. So it's identifying where's your strength, and who are the right people to have around you. Okay. Really good advice. I love that. A good advisor empowers their client. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, what do you love about what you do? I know you talked a little bit about just the learning every day and what you do for your clients. What do you love about what you do? I like my clients. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm really lucky. I mean, you know, sometimes I think like you attract some clients and they're hard to come by. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy to find someone. I'm in this ultra wealth space where I have to find very wealthy people to be my clients. So it's not easy, but I find that I like them. I genuinely like my clients and I care for them. So it makes me happy when they feel like their life's in order. It's cheesy to say, it's so cheesy to say, but I believe it. My clients' success are my successes. Mm. Like if they're thriving and they're going out there and they feel like everything's happening the right way, a lot of that's not in my control, it's things they're doing. But as far as their personal life and their financial matters, the more in order that can be for them, the more um, confident they can feel about that, the more peace of mind they have about that, then that makes me very happy. But, you know, I'm honest with my clients. I'll call them, oh, I know a lot about that. Or, you know, I don't know a lot about that. Let me look into that. Great question. Let's follow up on that. It's a two-way road to me. The point of the podcast, right? I mean, there's so much to learn. You can have your podcast just about the financial services industry, and, and you would never run out of interviews, you know? <laughs> I'm, there's so much in my world, all asset classes globally. There's so much to always learn, and I find it fascinating. And I think when I'm helping my clients with the solution, and it makes me really proud of what I do, and it makes me really happy that I'm helping them. Yeah. Well, I love that. Talking about being honest to your clients, letting them know when you don't know something and also not hiding when things aren't going your way or their way. And that gains their trust even more in you. You're right. Because I mean, yeah, you don't always have the right call. I mean, the market. Right. Right. As they do. So yeah, it's, you have to be humble. <laughs> now, what about on the flip side? Talk about that with the markets not always going the way you want them to go. But on the flip side, what type of challenges do you have? The challenges are depending how large your book of business is. We tell you, you know, you have a lot of clients that you need to be thinking about every day. And so 
you have to really prioritize a lot um, because how much of your time do you spend researching? How much of your time do you spend dealing with your clients? How much of your time do you spend creating portfolios? There's a lot of different avenues. So it's sort of a job that you kind of do 24 hours, but you have to maintain that balance, I would say. But the number one key is that your clients know that you communicate to them, that you're responsive in a timely manner. They know you're thinking of them. So communication is very key. So assuming you do that well, because it's priority number one, the challenge is staying on top of everything. I won't lie. I mean, again, it's invested. It's a bit planning. <laughs> it's philanthropy. I mean, there's so much. Like, I wish I knew everything about every aspect of my world, and I, and I don't, and I won't. I never will. No matter how much time I spend in my industry, I never will because it's an evolving industry. So that's a challenge. And then, you know, some, you have to manage your clients' expectations. Some are more demanding than others. So making sure that you're meeting the client at um, where they are and you're working with them to set their goals. And, you know, a lot of the talk in my industry the last few years has really been around goals-based planning, which I'm a big believer of. Because, again, money is a means to an end is how I do it. So making sure that you're aligned with your client and what your goals are and what your objectives are and how you're working towards that. Okay. All right. And then earlier you talked a little bit about the things you do at the beginning of the day, like reading the Wall Street Journal. And I, I believe you said CNBC, watching that. But besides that, what else are you doing and what are the resources or, or platforms are you using to stay abreast on what's going on, stay on top of the markets and stay on top of things in general? Right. I mean, that's really being at a big firm such as UBS. So the unique thing about UBS, besides being the world's largest wealth management firm, we are. Half of the assets are U.S., half are international. The second is within wealth management, we have our own research team. So a lot of invest banks, big banks, they have research in their investment bank. That's the wealth management side leverages. At UBS, because wealth management is the primary business, not our investment bank, even though we have a good investment bank, we have our own research. We nice. have a lot of intellectual capital, a lot of knowledge. So I lean heavily on that. But it's not just because it's my firm. It's because I meet with these people. And then I read outside information. I read Barron's on the weekends. You know, if I have more time, I, I look on the internet and I read Bloomberg and I follow a lot of other information. So, you know, I'm always assessing what is UBS's house view, given the market view, and what I'm seeing on what's available out there and making sure that I can get all aligned and, you know, and listen to my view. Because mm. clients want you to have a view. Yep. You know, very true. And you're not going to get it right every time. Right. But I'm fortunate to be at a firm where I have a lot of the resources in-house. But if you're a smaller firm, you would just buy the research from whichever firm you think really is the most knowledgeable and and honest, right? That a firm that's not selling their own products. That's what you want. And at UBS, because we're open architects, which is a big difference from a private bank, which is more or less closed architects, mm. where they sell mostly their own products, we, we'll sell any product that's on our platform. On performance, you'll make it through our due diligence. You'll make it on our platform if you can um, have the availability to service our clients. So we're really agnostic. Like you can use UBS products, you can use a lot of different products. So I like to think that our view on the market is less self-serving than others, and we're really trying to find out how can we really provide the best performance for our clients. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's benchmark, right? Benchmark, and your clients want you to beat it. So my job is to identify, okay, yes, that's always going to – I believe in being managing to a benchmark. 
but then I also believe a public benchmark, but then I also believe managing to your private benchmark, you know, but what, but what are your goals? What are we really doing here? What are we trying to strive for? What matters to you? And they both matter. Some people think they're benchmark agnostic. They don't really care where the S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow is going. They just say, oh, well, this is how we manage money. I don't believe in that. Like, yeah, everyone should know where the market's going. So you got to care about it as a advisor. You also have to care about what the client cares about. Okay. All right. And then can you talk about the most memorable moment that you've had? Okay. I got in this industry seven years ago. I've had clients that have been with me for that time. Mm. And I'm very close. So that's the highlight of my career. It's my long relationship with my clients. Right. And they get to too. I mean, listen, some advisors, their clients know everything about them and they know everything about their advisor. I mean, some people are very, very close with their clients. Hence that person that came in when we were in business school telling us that the client's child was sitting on their couch. I mean, I kind of, you know, I keep it pretty professional. I don't need the client's child to be on my couch and I can do that. But I, I think it's, I keep it pretty professional with my clients and we have a lot of respect that we all for each other. But you see each other evolve in your lives. They see, they see my life evolve. They see me have children. I've seen their lives evolve. I've seen them build companies, sell companies, also have children. So it's a close relationship. That's great. Seven years watching your clients grow, not just financially, just in general, watching them grow, them seeing you grow. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So we're at the end of this interview. This has been great. I have these quick hitter questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, want to see if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about or anything you think I missed asking? No, I just think that I think a lot of people don't think that this is a career path they can go into unless they know all the million billionaires. And I would just encourage more and more people, given that statistic I shared earlier about the profile of advisors, we really need more young people and people of all ages of diverse backgrounds to come into this industry. It's the right time. Money is coming in internationally. Money is coming in from young entrepreneurs. Money is coming in from diverse entrepreneurs. It is the right time to attract a different profile of advisors. And I highly encourage people to not be intimidated by that and to know that this is a good time for them to come to want to help people and learn about the markets and learn about investing. And I just think it's a great long-term career path. And it's a great one for working moms. Let me just make that plug because you can have flexibility. You don't have to be at your desk all day. And for me, that was also another attraction to this industry. Okay, so no, that's great. So just letting people know that they don't have to be intimidated if they aren't so technical in all these different areas in finance, and they don't have to know all these different millionaires and billionaires. There is a path for you in financial advisory. Right. All right. Nice. Okay. So now let's get to these quick hitter questions. (laughs) So first one, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, it's all about mine. I mean, New Orleans State. All right. Ooh, all right. Yeah, okay. Favorite movie or show? Oh, I don't know. I mean, Seinfeld can never get enough. Yeah, classic right there. All right. Favorite musical artist or group? Ooh, Beyonce. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Favorite vacation spot? <laughs> yes. F- favorite vacation spot? That I've been to or that I want to go to? <laughs> Either one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say that I've been to Barcelona, but there's so many places I still would love to go to. 
Yeah, no, that's nice. And last, favorite food or drink? Mexican all day long, food and yeah. drink. Yep, yep. <laughs> I miss Texas. <laughs> oh, right, yes. <laughs> well, this has been great. I really appreciate it. This has been extremely informative and a very good overview of, of the industry. So thank you very much and congrats on all your accomplishments that you've had and, and good luck going forward. Thank you. And uh, I actually just recently learned about an organization called the Association of African-American Advisors, AAAA. I would encourage anyone that is of interest to check out that organization because they're focused on bringing more diversity to my industry, which I'm very passionate about. Perfect. Perfect. All right. AAAA. Mm -hmm. Right. That's easy. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, thanks a lot. Oh, and is there any way that people can get a hold of you if they have any questions, like an IG or anything? Okay. Yeah. Message me on LinkedIn. Okay. LinkedIn. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.